Welcome to In the Middle of It. I'm Amy Kelly, and I am passionate about supporting you on the front lines with your middle schoolers. As a former middle school teacher myself and a parent to two teens of my own, I get the roller coaster season that you're in. That crazy making, joy inspiring, incredibly fun, and sometimes frustrating ride of loving the teens in your life. Each week, I'm going to be sharing actionable stories and strategies to encourage and equip you on your journey. If you're a parent or a teacher who's looking to forge a connection that lets your teens know they are seen, heard, and loved, and if you are ready to show up as the grown up they need, you are in absolutely the right place. Let's get started. Well, hey there, friends. I am so happy to be able to introduce you to someone I met a few weeks ago at the Texas Library Association Conference that was held in Fort Worth. Christine Hall is the owner of Lone Star Literary Life, which is an online magazine and resource for readers and authors in Texas. Now, in this conversation that I'm sharing with you, Christine and I are talking about the work that she does and the books that we read as kids that we keep going back to and why it's so important that everyone has the opportunity to see themselves reflected in the pages of books. And we also talk about some of the serendipitous connections that she and I have personally, which has made getting to know her so much fun. She is just an absolute blast. I know you're going to love her. So as I mentioned before, Christine is the owner and publisher of Lone Star Literary Life. Before assuming leadership of Lone Star Lit, Christine served as a coordinator for Lone Star Book Blog Tours and has now worked with over 400 authors and publishers to promote Texas books, Texas authors, and literary Texas. Hall earned her bachelor's degree in modern languages from Texas A&M University. I think you guys, if you are longtime listeners, you see a connection there already. She earned her teaching certification from Texas Christian University and her master's degree in library sciences from Sam Houston State University. She is a professional book reviewer, has been a moderator at the Texas Book Festival, and has been fe- the featured speaker for numerous Texas writing groups, workshops, and conferences. She is an active member of the Texas Library Association and a proud member of the Grammar Police, and has been sharing her personal book reviews and book recommendations since 2011 on Hallway's blog. You can find links to connect with Christine in the show notes for today's episode, so you definitely want to head there to theishgirl.com forward slash EP 158 to be able to link up with her. Now, before we jump into our conversation, I just want to acknowledge the horrific tragedy that happened in Uvalde, Texas this week. I know we are all still reeling from the mass shooting that ended with the deaths of 19 children, babies really, and two adults. So our hearts go out to everyone affected by these violent losses. And if you are looking for any resources to help you talk to your middle schoolers or other children about the event, please check out episode 144 of the podcast, where I share some things that will help you have those difficult conversations. Okay, just to let you know, this interview was recorded prior to that event. So you won't hear Christine and I talking about that because like I said, we recorded it before it happened. Okay, friends, let's get started. I am so excited to welcome Christine Hall to In the Middle of It. Welcome, Christine. 
Hello. <laughs> Hello. So Christine and I met a few weeks ago at the Texas Library Association conference. And I am still these several weeks later cracking up because as we continued to talk when we first met, we realized we had several things in common. So Christine is also an Aggie. And the part that really makes me laugh is that you majored in French or minored in French? I can't remember. No, I majored in French. You majored in French. Okay. Yes, I know. like you. <laughs> I know, right? And so on your bio, it said modern languages. So I wasn't sure, like, oh, if it was just a piece of it or whatever, which I was a French major at A&M. And seriously, there are like 12 of us, right? And so to run, <laughs> right. to run into somebody who not only <laughs> majored in French, but loves books the way that I do, too, maybe even a little bit more, although I hesitate to, like, we're neck and neck, I would say. It's just a delight. It was such a fun surprise. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey, Christine, and lead up to what you do now, and then we'll talk about that. You know the secret backstory to why my degree is modern languages. It was because of love, but yeah, that was a flip at the end. I was a solid French major and English because I was going to teach and, you know, then things changed. But I don't know. I was born in 1967. And <laughs> how far back do you want me to go? You just tell your story, girl. Just tell your story. I say that, and but my journey starts, as all of us does, is being surrounded by books and bookish people from the get-go. I mean, my parents, avid readers, my mother, um, a journalist and uh, English major in Walla Walla, Washington, and starting with my dad, how he still has them. He's 88, and he's got all of his Mother Westwind books that he would read the Mother Westwind stories to me, and I read them myself, then I was reading his old Bobsy Twins books. And then of course, mom, the old Nancy Drew books that uh, Nancy Drew, where she wore frocks and had a roadster and her special friend, Ned, <laughs> they always had books. I always was reading their books. I was fascinated. We had a wall of the Funkin', Funkin' Wagnall, Funkin' Wagner. I haven't had enough caffeine to, I can't remember, but the encyclopedia sets, you remember where they used to sell? Oh, right. The door to door. You know, yeah. And I loved looking at the encyclopedia and reading the encyclopedia books. And of course, I also, because I was a little girl, I thought funk was a naughty word. <laughs> <laughs> so I was enticed by the funk. Oh, yeah. You were, you were the rebel, and, like and, sneaking yeah. the encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, like, ooh, there's stuff. Well, there actually was stuff in there, too. Um, oh, I know. I think you say that, and I'm cracking up because my parents had whatever, whether it was B for body or H for human body or whatever, that one had, they were plastic, almost overhead projector, clear sheets where they overlaid the different yes. parts of the body. Yes. And I was fascinated with those because it was so cool. You started with the skeleton yeah, and, you started organs and then, yeah, it was super cool. <laughs> My parents, my fascination books too, they also had, I'm so dating myself here. Well, I already told you I was born in 67, yeah, so I'm right, right. 55 this year. <laughs> they had the Time Magazine would have these focus books, and I can't remember what they were actually called, but there was one about aliens. Is there life on other planets? And, right. you know, all of those, I was fascinated by that at the time. And then there was the one with the Egyptian pyramids on the front, which I got to see that to fruition because I was fascinated. And I got to go to Egypt when I turned oh. 50, as a, my 50th to myself and my daughter was graduating, getting her master's. She'd just gotten her master's and I was like, girl trip right here. So oh, 
my gosh. All the stars aligned for a lot of different things for that to actually happen. And I was remembering my Time magazine hardcover, The Pyramid, The Wonders of the World. And so anyhow, yeah, just always surrounded by books. And isn't it funny how the things that we read as kids that are our dreams, but again, coming to fruition, like a full circle, whatever you want to call it. I felt that actually at TLA when Melissa Gilbert was speaking Oh, I know. Oh my gosh. She was amazing. She was amazing. But literally, and I think I put this on social media, third grade, Amy was doing a happy dance, crying. I was having one of those fangirl. I wasn't actually crying at the thing, but it was a total fangirl full circle moment for sure. Well, she came out. I looked at her and I was like, Wait, I thought we were seeing, you know, because my brain, again, I was thinking I'm going to see Little House on the Prairie. The minute I heard her voice. It was her voice. It was her voice. Yeah, did she say, I can't remember, she's turning, is she 60? Was that the Mm. birthday she was having? Whatever. I think 58, maybe? 58? Yeah, her voice is still Little House. She's Laura, you know? She's still Laura, yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's her. I feel at home and familiar. And she's still the same person, but way cooler. Yes. Yes, you know? just just transplanted yeah. to modern day, right? Yeah, and yeah. it was a pleasure to hear her that it wasn't just that she's an actress, that the books, how they have framed her life and influenced her life. And Yes, yes. Yeah, that was way cool. Yes, for sure, which I digress. Let's go back to the pyramids. So you, you were <laughs> able to realize that. <laughs> you read All Growing Up, and then we know you went to Texas A&M, and then what? Oh, well, I went to AM, graduated, went to TCU. I was engaged, went to TCU, got my teaching certification, did my student teaching through TCU. So that was a bonus degree thing, but not a degree, I guess. Then I got married and, you know, kids, I just, it's funny, the surrounded by books doesn't always work. Even if you're brought up by readers and surrounded by books, my husband and I have a combined five children and we have two of them that really aren't big readers. Yeah, really, it's not genetic low, necessarily. Low reading. You just never know. I taught French for a while in English and I always say this, I've reinvented about every 10 years yes, to do yeah. something else, but it's always been connected with the literary world in one way or another. And even with the one job that I had for a while that wasn't when I worked for an attorney, I still was volunteering in my kids' schools mm-hmm. in the library. In the library. Well, <laughs> yeah. And it was a librarian who one day said, you really are good at this. Because I wasn't really happy being in an attorney's office. Like, that wasn't my thing. So she, because she's a librarian, found me a scholarship. What? And because <laughs> yeah, I was like, we have five kids to put through college. I can't go get my master's degree right now it's not in the cards and she's like so anyhow I went to Sam Houston on a scholarship and because that's when I started I'd already been in libraries I managed with the the school district where I was volunteering to be able to do basically the student teaching of librarianship and like an um, internship type thing practicum yeah (laughs) and did that there and then it just ended up that that librarian was pregnant with twins and so my first job was long-term librarian substitute and I was there for four months and then things things worked out the word got on the street in the district and another librarian at a different school so I was at a high school and then I got to be a long-term librarian sub at a elementary school 
and then another one. And this was like the best thing ever because I was getting to do what I loved and I really didn't have the pressures of the lead librarian, what they actually have to do. I got to open a library for a school year. I got to close a library for a school year. I got it right in the middle of the holidays. I mean, I got it all. And so it's really, and I got to do long-term sub gigs for gosh, three, four years, because things happen. Things happen. um, They always need that for sure. It was fabulous because I'd work four months and then I'd have a few off and then I'd work for four months. So during that off time, well, and in during that time, I was working for Lone Star Literary Life as a blogger. Okay. And then their blog tour coordinator, it kind of transitioned to that. And they found me and I had to start a blog when I was going to Sam Houston for, you know, for your program. Right. Yeah. I had to start a book blog and it's just funny. And then, so that new door opened up, it's all connected and yeah, so it I all that. like combines to lead you to where you are. It now. led me to yeah, where I am, and I thought I was in trouble with the Lone Star ladies that uh, the owners because they wanted to have a talk with me, and I was like, oh man, what's this going to be? <laughs> and they were like, you know what, we're ready to do something else, and we're going to sell the business, and we want you you get first dibs. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, and I knew immediately I wanted to do it, and I said yes, and then. It was really hard. It's been really hard. Yeah. But it's Entrepreneurship, no joke. <laughs> yeah. Small mm. business ownership is very difficult, but I'm so passionate about it. I love it so much. I don't know how people do it when they're not passionate about it. Maybe they just don't. Okay. With Lone Star Literary Life, I was perusing <laughs> your website and I'm going to read one of the quotes from it, which I love. I love, love, love it. It says, Texas readers and writers deserve their own lair, a virtual speakeasy of letters where wordsmiths and bookworms are embraced as part of our state's reading and writing community. And I think that kind of sums up what I feel like you're doing. So talk to me a little bit about why Lone Star Literary Life. I know it all converged for you in that moment when they offered you the business. So why are you passionate about it? Tell me more about it and what purpose it serves and how it functions and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm passionate about it completely because I worked for them before I owned. And that's why they offered it to me first is they're like, you've been here almost from the beginning. You get what we're doing and why we're doing it. And the what and why is because as you are well aware, Texas has an amazing depth with all angles of writers. Yes. There's so much talent here and there has been for, this is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. When you start digging on some of the greatest authors out there, there there's so many Texas connections and Mm -hmm. yet there was no, I believe that was probably Barbara Brandon's words. There was no layer. There was no place that was giving the big ones, the little ones, all of them a platform. Mm-hmm. which is insane with as, as much talent as there is here. And like I said, and not just in published authors or not yet published authors, but the writing groups, the resources, and nobody knows about it. There was just no spot. Community. You no build community. community. Yeah. And there were lots of communities, but there was no place to connect all of them. You could get bits and pieces everywhere. You know, Austin's always had a great community. For Austin, Houston's got amazing bookstore community for Houston. And why not have all of the state connected? Because, you know, there's so much Texas pride. And that's another part. I'm mm-hmm. Fort Worth girl, born Texas pride, runs deep. And it's just a natural fit. 
because it was all the things I loved. I love Texas. I love literary things. So it just, it just made sense. Plus having that background, doing their blog tours, coordination for them. I was meeting so many of the underdogs, the people that have so much talent, but just how many times I've heard writing a book's hard, but getting people to buy it is even harder. And these amazing books that just you're indie published or you're have an indie publisher, nobody knows about your books. And there is so much satisfaction for me and giving people a platform for their amazing books. And there used to be such a negative connotation with, ooh, you self-published. And that's changing a lot now. Oh, it's changing rapidly. I think the whole paradigm is shifting right now. Mm -hmm. And there was a good reason for that negative thing because yeah, some of the stuff you saw and it's still there. There's still a lot of that stuff. Well, what I find interesting is the hybrid stuff that's going on where it is a publisher where you do have to apply, but the risk is on the writer. So it's and the marketing's on the writer. And the marketing, which I feel like even with traditional publishing, the marketing's on the writer, unless you're one of the huge. More and more. Yeah. More and more. I'm seeing that too. And and people are disappointed. They're like, here, I have this big publisher and I'm so excited to have that, but they're not doing anything to help me sell the book. And the thinking on that, I think is you have my brand on your book. So that is by in itself going to help you sell books which is true, I think, but that doesn't do it. No. And I think publishers are kind of throwing them out there. There's no guidance. It's very willy-nilly. Lone Star Literary Life, it is a community where it's very meta. It's a community of communities, right? So what are some of the things that you do? I know you talked about blog tours and things like that. What do you do with these communities or for them? Well, at its core, Lone Star is media. It's sharing information. It's an information source for literary things. So that's why the librarian and me, of course, too, you'll see resources on the site. There's a page of Texas bookstores. There's a page of Texas publishers of Texas book clubs. There are other pages that I can't come up with right now. We have a news <laughs> brief. <when> we, <laughs> we have literary something related to news briefs. That'll be everything from Texas authors who are winning awards, or it might be uh, Benjamin Elliott Sines, who's amazing. You know, his books are getting put on film. So we might have a little piece about that. And then we've got book reviews. And I have a huge team of people who are also passionate about books and who are also passionate about being Texans who support all of it. So I have people that write book reviews for me and I have people that write columns for me. They're all authors, Judy Alter, mystery author, and Diane Mills, a Christian fiction thrillers. She does writing tips. It's just a conglomerate of all of these things that we give readers who have literary leanings. They get it all free. Everything on the website is free for them. But that media part, just like a newspaper, you have to have money to do it. There are are a lot of expenses. I pay people because it's a business and because they're professionals. I pay the people that review our books. I pay the people, the bloggers who are on the blog tours for their participation. That's just the way it is. So in order to pay people, we have the blog tours, which is twofold for me. Yes, it makes money for the company, but more importantly, it gives those underdog authors mostly, but we get some big names on there too. And some of the publishers, the bigger publishers like to use Lone Star's blog tours to get those books out in front of readers. That's the cool thing is you got a newspaper, people that read a newspaper, let's just say the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, for example, are not all 
book people. They're not all readers who enjoy a novel. Yeah. Love yeah. stars people are all readers of books. They right. all love literary things. And like that just jazzes me. Our audience, we're all, we are one. The we're world. all book people. It's and our people. I have in the traditional media, since we sell advertising and you can advertise in our newsletter or on our website, or you can do a book blog tour, or we can do a social media shout out for your event or your book. We've got is Fort Worth again. I have Fort Worth on the brain today, but <laughs> there is a literacy carnival that's happening in Fort Worth. And I guess it's been happening nine years now. I didn't even know about it. I didn't um, know about that either. What is that? It's Fortress is the name. It's a charitable organization and they are big. I think it's this weekend we may have a news brief on it. There will be a thing coming up where we'll be advertising that. I have a pretty good sense of who actually has money and who doesn't. And so I try to make sure we're about to do our kids summer reads. Mm -hmm. So any books for young readers from board books up to young adult, I do it with a pay what you can pricing. Okay. So you tell me what you can afford because I'm not in this to make big bucks. I've never chosen careers that are about big bucks. They're about what is important to me and what gives me, I guess that's a very selfish way to look at it, but it's what fills my bucket and I'm passionate about, but right. it gives something to other people too. I'm doing something that other people appreciate and that feels good. Right. I also would say too, because I feel very similarly, it's about getting books into the hands of readers because there's power in that and there's oh, magic yeah. in that for sure. So the fact that it benefits you because it gives you to really oversimplify it, warm fuzzies, right? And purpose. Yes, no, no, and all that. That's the icing on the cake because it sounds like your purpose is to make those connections, to get the books that maybe readers wouldn't even know about. Yeah. Which is a great transition, I think, to the next thing that I want to talk about, which is stories save lives. I am convinced. There, there's a question in my mind. Yeah. Stories save lives. I think that's what our purpose is, what you're saying for what you're doing with Lone Star Literary. I know that's what I want to highlight because I feel like just with research that I've done, the generation of kids right now, Generation Z, is at such a high risk of mental health disorders, suicide in particular. I literally did a presentation for a class a couple of weeks ago and the numbers are astounding with the like, just, I can't, I can't even. So, and, yeah, that, and not that, in a good way, no, <laughs> not, not astounding in a, good, in a way. good way. Like the sense of hopelessness, the sense of isolation, all of those things are playing a part. And I feel like one of the antidotes to that is books. It's very clearly books. So for you personally, in your growing up years, which were around the same time as mine, and so I'm imagining we have a lot of the same book friends, was there any particular book or author who really impacted you? I know saving your life would be a little dramatic for whatever you experienced, but what would you say or who would you say impacted you most as far as books, authors, et cetera, in your growing up years? I already made mention in it again, that's not going to be a saved my life, but Nancy Drew, no kidding. And I also, because of my personality, I needed to have all of them. So I had this, actually it's on, we were on video and they're back there. Um, I see them top I, shelf. I have, <laughs> yeah. I have books that were published in the forties. 
I had to have all of them. But even through when I probably was a little older than what the intended audience was, that was still my comfort place. When life got hard as a tween, a teen, I would revert back to my comfort books. And there's another one. This is kind of funny. My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Brewster, to calm us down after that lunchtime and everything, she read a book to us called Nancy and Plum. Betty McDonald is the author. I'm going to say it probably was written in the 40s. I might be wrong on that. But she read that. And that I remember just being on the edge of my seat because they had run away and they were hiding out and living on this farm and fending for themselves and all this stuff and everything. I always have thought about that book and I didn't have a copy and my husband found a copy for me probably, you know, almost 20 years ago. He found a copy for me and I have returned to Nancy and Plum and I read that. And again, when life just gets overwhelming, it's a complete and so innocent and clean, pure escape. Back to little fifth grade me and it completely, I'm out. I can read Nancy and Plum and I can recenter and I return to that book over and over. And it's kind of funny because I had no idea as a fifth grader that Nancy and Plum was going to be a happy place for me. But I also, again, not lifesavers, but life moments that I have. I think about curling up when I was a teenager with my sister, she's eight years older, so she was not, but we would curl up when she'd visit and we would read Stephen King, his short story books. What's the okay. one with the monkey and the symbols on the front? Right. Yes. I, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, names. I'll Come find on. it though. I'll find but it. <laughs> all of them. We would curl up and we would both be just wide eyed and we would read those together and turn the pages and such fond memories attached to reading things. I told you about well, dad had Bomb of the Jungle Boy too, but it was the Mother West Wind books. It's just to me, the book in hand and sometimes alone, but sometimes curling up with another person or even as it evolves when you're older, my husband and I were side by side reading. That's the lifesaver thing. I have these defining things too that are not good, but I remember that my parents had, there was a Harold Robbins book and then I was probably only like 10 what was that book called? The Betsy. It had something sexy on the cover and I totally shouldn't have been, you know, but I like to read and that looked kind of like, I remember definitely should not have read that. But then I was like, oh, I feel a little funny. So there's also those books that over time and when the ones that got passed, all the VC Andrews. Oh yeah. Flowers in the Attic. Passed around kind of like on the wink, wink, nudge, nudge in school. And of course my parents, a book, it was fine. I was never sent. Right. Me neither. What you reading there? And I can remember my mom being like, but you know, of course didn't frown upon that. I got every single one of them. And we talked about books and everything. And she, that seems off. Right. Right. It's so wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the thing. I would say, again, my parents were the same. It wasn't an endorsement that they let me read it. It was just an exploration, I guess. Yeah. And, and they weren't going to stop that. Right. And I always felt okay if I needed to talk to them about that. My mom was real big on leaving books on my desk, the yes. My Body book. And we didn't need, we just leave that out for me to, because she knew I'd read it. 
Right. You know? <laughs> so there was that kind of stuff. There was the book that was a lifesaver, probably that when I was in a relationship and we were having a hard time and it was a Dr. Phil relationship rescue. And as I read through that, I realized this is not the right guy for me. <laughs> like, so the relationship rescue rescued me from making a bad choice. Right. Books are just always part of it. Well, and the learning and the information part of it too. When you were talking earlier about how you would read voraciously as a kid, I think that is the big part of it. It's just this insatiable curiosity and wanting to learn and books give you what you need or not, or show you what you don't need. Well, right, or, or right, right. When, whatever the information is. So yeah, I love that. Well, and with um, the internet, we didn't have the internet. We right. didn't have the internet that if I just wanted to know the one thing or right. see the one thing, or instead of reading the book, everybody's reading that. What's that? Let's get the synopsis. Then I don't have to read it, but I can pretend like I did. And I can still <laughs> talk to people when they bring that book. It's just a different time. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. So one book, if you had to take one book to a desert island, that's the only one you could read. It would probably be a book of short stories. So I would have variety. Oh, I love that. Any particular one? Short stories. Yeah, as I'm older too, in the time, it, the irony of my bookish world is I really don't get to read very much anymore. Not with, yeah. not for sure with my eyes. I try to listen to audiobooks as much as I can. Of course, I just talked about Stephen King, and so now he's on the brain. But that'd be for Desert Island. Yeah, I don't know if I want to be creeped out all the time. I was going to say, yeah, I, I have trouble reading Stephen King. I can't. My imagination is too overwhelming. I hear things go creak in the night, nightmares and... All the things, yeah. Oh, it would have to be short stories. Well, there are so many good ones you know right now. That's what I was going to say. I would choose a book of short stories or an anthology that I have not yet not read. read. Oh. <laughs> and you know, one that's popping in my head is Hope Wins that just, oh, just came out. Yes, yes. I exactly. haven't read it yet. Totally want to read that. Sam well, and that's a second in a series, right? The Hope Wins? Yes. Okay. Yes. They're connected. A follow-up, I would say. Yeah. I can tell you I wouldn't take romance. I don't know what it is. I love romantic gestures, and I don't enjoy reading a book that the primary purpose of the book is romance, which I, I don't know why, because I really like that in real life. But if romance is in there, it's okay. But that's not what I want the whole book to be about. And even as a teenager, I wasn't really about the romances. I don't know what that is about. Yeah, I would say that is my escape. I've actually found a group of authors that are all interconnected on Amazon. You know how they are like, if you liked this, you're yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's the, how do they put it? The closed door, clean. There's no, you know, right. naughty bits in it. Yeah, everything <laughs> so, happens off the page. Yes, off the page. Yes. That's my so, preference as well. Yes, there's that. And I don't know, it's just, probably like candy, like eating or eating comfort food. Mine are cozy mysteries. I'm like that for cozy mysteries. That's my checkout and things that I don't have to be overly invested. I'm not going to have extreme emotional responses to. It just needs to be a comfort skim through really quick (laughs) I'm not going to be upset by anything and there are my husband knows about books he recommends because he'll read something and be oh this is outstanding and I was like well should I read it and he's like nope sad ending yeah I was like oh I'm out nope I'm all about the (laughs) H-E-A's yes but not for romance I just don't want it to be a romance right Right. I mean, it can be, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. I totally do. I totally do. 
Well, I have to say, Miss Christine, I am so glad that we came across each other at TLA and have gotten yes. to chat and talk. And thank you so much for sharing about your book history and what influenced you and what quote unquote saved your life, stories that saved your life growing up. I tend to agree with you. It's not that there's a dramatic moment or anything like that. It's just the ongoing coping mechanism whether it's comfort, like we were just talking about, or learning something that we need to move forward, ditching a dude or whatever. Like right, right, right. Or just whatever it is informationally that you need. I think it's just, I'm lucky that I am in all the books. I am a white female and I can find oh. myself anywhere. And so yes. that is why I think it, the difference is for me, books are comfort and maybe one wasn't the way that you were talking about for kids. Right. They need to see themselves in the books and the books are out there for them and we need to do everything we can to make sure those books are in their hands and this ridiculous censorship stops. Kids Amen. Need to see themselves to fight those statistics They've got to see themselves in the books they're reading. Yes. And I'm glad you pointed that out because yes, it has been very easy for us to find ourselves in those books and for everyone to have that is again, that's part of our passion right now. I think just yep, finding those and getting them into the hands. And adults too. Yeah. Adults too. Adults too. Well, and especially adults, I would say so that the adults who are, have the buying power and are able to hand them to the kids. That's yes. important too. Thank you so much. And I am just going to what? make sure that everybody knows in my show notes where to find Lone Star Literary Life and where they can find you and then all the fun books that we mentioned today too. So thank you so, all right. so much. I Once I can't it. remember the names of. Right. <laughs> we'll find them. We'll find them. Yes, we will. Right. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining me on In the Middle of It today and for sharing your journey with us and the way the books have played such a large role in your big life moments. Now, I've provided links to most of the books that Christine and I talked about in the show notes for this episode, and you can find those at theishgirl.com forward slash EP158. And again, you can also find links to Christine and Lone Star Literary Life there as well. And I also want to let you know that at the end of June, I will be holding the very first Stories Save Lives book club. And I would love, love, love for you to join me for that. We're going to be reading The Nowhere Girls by Amy Reed, a book that has been banned or challenged in some areas. Now, this is a book club for adults to talk about how to use these banned books to have conversations and to create connection with our middle schoolers. So for more information, you can go to the show notes for a link there, or you can go directly to theishgirl.com forward slash book club. And I cannot wait to get together to talk about this book. Okay, friends, thank you so much for hanging out with me and Christine today. It is a privilege to share time with you. And from an ish girl who is less than two weeks away from being an empty nester, and believe me, I am going back and forth between cheering and tearing up with alarming frequency. I am so grateful to be in the middle of it together. 